This is The Guardian. Today, he once played a fictional president on TV. Now, Vladimir Zelensky's video messages are rallying his country to survive. On Saturday morning, after after you know spending clearly spending a night in the bunker, Zelensky emerged. I mean, he looked he looked tired, he looked a little gaunt. He had bags under his eyes, um, and he just said, he just said, "Yatut, yatut, I'm here," with this kind of weary smile, and it it was, it's quite moving. Of all the images that have emerged so far from Russia's war on Ukraine, some of the most prominent are of its president. What we see of uh, Volodymyr Zelensky is the leader uh, of a nation at war um, under Russian attack, behaving with uh, resilience, with humour, with a sort of indomitable spirit. We will fight as long as it takes to liberate the country. If children are born in shelters, even when the shelling continues, then the enemy has no chance in this undoubtedly people's war. Day after day, he's emerged into the streets of his battered capital, Kyiv, in appearances perfectly crafted to reassure Ukrainians and rally them to keep fighting. He's wearing these sort of khaki... Uh, T-shirts um, and fleeces, and there's something kind of rather reassuring about his manner, which is it's kind of husky, it's rather um, gravelly. Voice, as you expect. I mean, he's living in a basement um, at night time. He can't be sleeping more than three hours a day. But he's defiant, and he's still there. Of course, we want peace. We want to meet and put an end to the war. However this ends, whether this ends in triumph for Zelensky, you know, he manages to hold off the Russians or negotiate some kind of deal where where Ukraine retains its sovereignty, whether it ends in stalemate or even, depressingly, whether it ends, ends in his being captured or killed. He's proven himself to be a national hero. I mean, there will be Zelensky squares, there will be statues of him. Zelensky's past as a comedian has led many, including the Russians, to write him off as the wrong man at the wrong time. When war erupted, instead of a diplomat or a warrior, Ukrainians found themselves being led by an actor. But in a country facing its darkest days, needing a hero, Zelensky's courage and ability to tell a story might be just what was needed. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, in a country badly outgunned, how Ukraine's president is winning the information war. Luke Harding, you're a senior Guardian foreign correspondent currently in Ukraine, and the standout figure from this conflict so far has been the country's president, Volodymyr Zelensky. But I want to start by talking about a Ukrainian TV show, one that proved remarkably prescient. Tell me about it. You know, one of the ironies of, uh, about this, the, the, the whole Zelensky phenomenon, is that he was a he was a TV drama president before he actually did the job for real. He was the star, the lead actor in a show called Servant of the People, which was basically a fairy tale 
where a English teacher in school starts mouthing off about the problems that every Ukrainian can recognize about. Corruption, about government perfidiousness, about, about misrule, about oligarchy. And he, he goes on this rant which someone films uh, and it's put on the internet and, and suddenly he, he becomes something of a cult figure. He attracts a following. Uh, and then he decides to enter politics. This is, this is the teacher we're talking about, the fictional cre- creation. Uh, and he wins and he becomes president of Ukraine. And there we, we, we have this, this teacher, this kind of uh, every man, if you like, is suddenly ruling a country of 45 million. And, uh, so that, that's the fairy tale version. And then, you know, strangely, in, a, in our postmodern, upside down world where, where fiction can become real, I mean, a, a real estate developer can become American president. Well, in Ukraine, a comedian. And TV star can also become president. Okay, so he plays this much-loved character who denounces corruption in a country that sounds like it's thoroughly sick of it. But that wasn't his first taste of popular acclaim. Luke, is it true that not only was he on Dancing with the Stars, he actually won it? Yeah, he's a talented guy. I mean, he can sing, he can speak, he can act, he can entertain, he can hold a crowd. Uh, He's a performer. So, Luke, at some point, Zelensky decides he doesn't just want to play a president in this hugely popular TV show. He wants the actual job. And so he runs for office. And incredibly, he wins. How on earth was he able to pull that off? I think his campaign gathered steam uh, pretty quickly because Ukraine, it's it's sort of the same old faces, actually. I mean, uh, uh, the same old political parties, the same politicians. And there's a sense also that the Ukraine has a sort of shadow government run by oligarchs who really control everything and, and use their connections, their money to influence institutions, whether it's the courts or, or the prosecutor's office or so on. And the thing about Zelensky was Zelensky came from, from nowhere, almost from the heavens, or, or I, I guess from, from your television screen. Good morning, Mr. President. Mixing footage from the sitcom with his campaign ads, Zelensky is now trying to convince Ukrainians that he's the outsider the country needs to shake up its corrupt politics. His motto, become president, but stay an ordinary guy. He also said he would only run for one term, that that he would come in, de-oligarchize Ukraine um, and make it a kind of proper, decent, clean, respectable country. Now, Now, there were question marks about all of that. I mean, everyone knows that Zelensky was very close to a, to a Ukrainian oligarch called um, Igor Kolomoisky. Um, but the, the message resonated and, and he won everywhere. I mean, he, he didn't just win in, in, in uh, you know, in, in Kiev or in the East. I mean, he, he, he won all across the country. Traditionally, the new president arrives in a limousine, but not Volodymyr Zelensky. 41-year-old Zelensky strode into Parliament with the confidence of a man who'd won a landslide victory, securing 73% of the vote. Thank you to my parents for their support and for living through all of this. Thanks to my team for their strength and stamina. Had my wife heard all of the things that were said about me in this campaign, then perhaps she would never have married me. Zelensky and his team can celebrate this election victory but defeating corruption and ending the war with Russia is going to prove far harder. 
And by the time he ran for office, the conflict in the East with Russia was already about five years old. What was Zelensky's position on that? What was he promising to do? Well, his, his position was that he was the, the guy who was going to sort it all out. He was going to make peace with Putin and he was going to negotiate with him. And actually, in the early stages, he did have a few successes. There were prisoner exchanges. There was a ceasefire of sorts, which lasted about five minutes, followed by another ceasefire. Um, and I think the Russians concluded fairly early on that they, could, they couldn't deal with Zelensky, that he, he was just not a sort of serious person. But more to the point, it's quite an interesting word in Russian. It's called nisistemni. He wasn't a person of the system. In other words... He hadn't come from the security services, the police. You know, he was a, he was a kind of outsider. Um, and I think they treated him with condescension. Okay. I mean, clearly on this matter of Russia, it hasn't gone to plan. What about on this other key plank of his platform, which was to clean out the oligarchs that people thought were running Ukraine? How did he go on that? I, I mean, there were, there were a lot of speeches about it, but uh, I think in practical terms... Not a huge amount changed. I mean, he did actually take some steps against oligarchs. I mean, in the run-up to, to the invasion, and possibly one of the causes, one of the things that really irritated Vladimir Putin, he um, took action against um, Renat Akhmetov, who, who is an oligarch, a very powerful in the East, with uh, a big factory in Mariupol, now under siege. Uh, uh, but also, uh, first and foremost, against someone called Viktor Medvedchuk, who, who's Ukraine's best-known pro-Russian oligarch politician who's a personal friend of Vladimir Putin's. Putin is godfather to one of Medvedchuk's kids. And he knocked Medvedchuk's pro-Russian channels off the air, shut them all down, and put him under house arrest accused of treason. Now, that was quite a bold move. I mean, I, d- I don't know if that's de-oligarchization, but it was a move that, that people, I would say, who are on the sort of more nationalist end of the Ukrainian political spectrum welcomed and were, were, were impressed by. And it was around this time that Zelensky was drawn into one of the biggest scandals of Donald Trump's presidency, when Trump, on the phone to the Ukrainian president, appeared to ask Zelensky to help him dig up dirt on the son of his presidential rival, Joe Biden. My call was perfect. The president yesterday of Ukraine said there was no pressure put on him whatsoever, none whatsoever. And he said it loud and clear for the it led to Trump's second impeachment, but how damaging was that whole episode for Zelensky? I mean, I think it was it was obviously uh, damaging, but I, I don't think sort of fatally so. And it's clear clear that the, the, the last thing really Zelensky wanted to do was to get embroiled in in vicious uh, domestic American politics and partisan fighting between Republicans and Democrats. But he he was sucked in on the same. Uh, and I think what you can say in Zelensky's defense is, first of all, he was he was a neophyte. I mean, he was he was just in the job. Secondly, I mean, he kind of he sort of made kind of mm, noises about about helping, but I don't think he actually really um, delivered. Uh, and thirdly, you have to look at the sort of geopolitical bind that he was in. I mean, I mean, by that point, Ukraine had already been at war with Russia for for five six years, um, and America was. Um, his key ally. They were key to, to Ukraine's survival, as we now know. So, I mean, I think he, he tried to go along with Donald Trump, but I, I don't, in the end, I don't think he was that compromised by it. And also the Joe Biden plot. I mean, I've written a whole book called, called Shadow State, which has a chapter on Ukraine featuring, you know, Hunter Biden and, and so on. And, and 
it is enormously complicated. I mean, it's so complicated it sort of breaks your your head. Um, but basically, it was it was a nonsense, and I think in the end, Zelensky kind of swerved it. And so, Luke, over the past few years, at what point did it become clear that not only would Zelensky not be able to make peace with Russia, but that his time in office might actually see, you know, the greatest test between the two countries in their modern history? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, Michael, that's a really interesting question because Russia started building up troops uh, around Ukraine's borders in the spring of, of last year, the, the spring of 2021. Um, and we're talking about quite sizable numbers. I mean, it, it, and it looked pretty ominous, but, but nothing came of it. And, and then, you know, fast forward to the, the next sort of potential military cycle, which was the autumn of last year. And there was another similarly menacing Build up, which continued to continue and continued, and, and meanwhile, the Biden administration, uh, Boris Johnson's sort of you know intelligence professionals in London were were warning more and more vociferously that actually this was not a bluff, this was not a feint, that that, that Russia was making serious preparations for uh, a, a, an unprecedented, extraordinary invasion. Uh, as we stand here, uh, Volodymyr. Uh, Today, more than 100,000 Russian troops are gathering on your border in perhaps the biggest demonstration of hostility towards Ukraine in our lifetimes. Uh, you know, Z- Zelensky was, I mean, either he was being tactical or he was in denial or a bit of both. But, but for, for the longest time, certainly for, for up until a couple of weeks ago, he was saying there's no grounds for panic. Putin is not going to invade. He, I mean, I asked him a question at a press conference when he was standing with Boris Johnson, when Boris Johnson visited. President uh, Luke Harding from the Guardian newspaper in London. And I said, look, the, the US and the UK have, have withdrawn their diplomats from Kiev and, and, and sent them to, to Lviv uh, in the west close to the Polish border. Was that a mistake? Um, and he said to me, Yes, I think it was a mistake. This is the captains of the diplomatic corps, and the captains are the, the last who should be leaving the ship. And I don't think we have a Titanic here. Ukraine is moving forward. We, we do not have a Titanic situation here. And, and he was sort of critical of, of, of the US publicly, uh, which some thought unwise, for um, essentially um, spreading a message of panic and, and, and trashing business confidence in Ukraine. Uh, and, and depressing the, the currency. Now, as it turns out, the Biden administration were, were, were right. I mean, that they were right. But, but I, think, I think since then, Zelensky has proved himself. He's proved himself. And so is it fair to say that up until Wednesday evening, as Russia was building up troops and as Western powers were warning that this could be war, that Zelensky's performance perhaps left a bit to be desired, that he may have missed opportunities either to prepare for war or to make concessions that, that could have averted it. But, but perhaps the most sort of telling criticism of uh, Zelensky is that actually he could have done more while it was still possible to defend Kiev. I mean, even when I, um, you know, on the eve of invasion, I mean, I, I went to a dinner party in Kiev and um, was strolling around um, Bars open, cafes open, but also no windows taped up, no sandbags outside the city administration or key government buildings. Uh, and you might argue that it would have made sense to have done that then rather than now. And why don't you think he did? I mean, what was he overlooking or was it strategic? Was it so as not to so panic? 
I think it was tactical. I, I mean, I think Zelensky was terrified of of, of contributing to, to panic or, or further um, further alarming uh, people. And and you know, perhaps part of me even hoped that that maybe this was not for real. That the U.S. administration's apocalyptic briefings were were not true. That that Putin would swerve or or decide against the last minute. I mean, you could say it was wishful thinking, but it may actually have been tactical and that you know if if he emerges and writes his memoirs i guess we'll find out coming up the comedian turned president becomes a wartime leader and national hero Luke, last Thursday morning, Russian troops began advancing into Ukraine. How did President Zelensky respond in those early hours? I was in Kiev on my way down to a basement after being told the news that the Russian invasion had begun and that there were there were airstrikes going on over the Ukrainian capital. And Zelensky responded with fortitude. I mean, he began giving a series of video addresses that we've seen over the last few days, essentially urging Ukrainians to stay calm, to take shelter if they needed to, and really kind of reassuring them, telling them that Ukraine would continue, that um, the Ukrainians would defend their homes. And there's a phrase actually in one of his more recent videos I was just watching. He, he was saying, you know, we have shown the world who we are since the invasion began, and Russia has shown the world what it has become. And, I mean, it was, it was sort of rousing. I mean, it's kind of moving. I mean, we've seen footage of a German TV announcer translating this, bursting into tears. Ukraine, we know exactly <laughs> It's hard not to be moved by someone who is talking a very human language about people, about children, about families, about love, about keeping the country together. And he finishes these addresses with a phrase that everyone sort of says here, and again, which kind of makes the back of my spine tingle whenever I hear it. And it just goes, Slava Ukraina. Garoyam Slava, which means glory to Ukraine, glory to the heroes. And Michael, it might sound kind of hyperbolic, but actually people are, are fighting and dying and struggling for survival. It's actually, the, the, you know, the words match the historical moment. What I find striking about these videos is that he's not just delivering them in Ukrainian, is he? I mean, he's actually talking to, to Russians over the heads of the Russian government. He is. I mean, there was an extraordinary video on Wednesday evening, just a few hours before the invasion began, where he made an address reminding Russians of the kind of brotherly, sisterly ties with Ukraine, that, that no, they weren't one country, which is the Putin thesis, but that they had long associations of friendship, of love, of history, of culture, and, and, and so on. I mean, bear in mind, Kiev is the city of, of Pushkin, it's the city of Mikhail Bulgakov, um, as well as Taras Shevchenko, the great Ukrainian poet, sort of Ukraine Shakespeare. Um, and he was saying, look, we're just like you. And again, it was a very moving speech. The critique of that speech, if, which I've heard from, from some Ukrainians, is that very few people in Russia would have seen it. And the, the, the other element of that is that it was 
kind of too late. I mean, it, you know, it may have driven some liberals to protest, but actually, unfortunately, it didn't reach the vast number of Russians who, who live basically in a regime of Kremlin censorship and informational control. Another kind of memorable line that he, he said, I mean, it's, it's not Henry V, but it's the same kind of goal, is that when you attack, you will see our faces and not our backs. Не наступать, защищаться. Наступая, вы будете видеть наши лица. Не наши спины, наши лица. And so it is proved. I mean, the Ukrainian resistance has been greater than I think anybody thought. Certainly the Americans thought, the Brits thought, there were gloomy prognostications that Kiev had fallen a day or two. And I think Vladimir Putin has been actually stunned and taken aback by the way that, in which sort of Ukrainians, you know, with Zelensky's encouragement, have fought back and, and actually have, have sort of disproved what Putin has long believed, that the Ukrainians are basically rural Russians. And I think even he nurtured the fantasy that they would welcome Russian, in inverted commas, liberation and greet Russian troops. Well, well they have, but with, with bullets, with Molotovs, with defiance and with bravery. Zelensky also in his speeches has, has directly rebutted this sort of Putin idea that, that he's some far-right extremist. By, by the way, that the far-right does very badly in Ukrainian elections. And he, he said, you know, Putin says I'm a Nazi, but my grandfather fought against the Nazis. Uh, it's a powerful line because it's true. And he also said, Putin says I'm shooting up the Donbass. That's the separatist occupied region of Eastern Russia. He said, well, you know, my best friend's mother is from the Donbass. Actually, he said Lugansk, capital of the Lugansk People's Republic. Uh, and I think he talks as well about going to a funeral there when one of his best friend's relatives died. And so it's powerful. It's human. I mean, does it make a difference in Russia? Do many Russians see it? Probably not. But I, I think it just shows his warmth, his ability to make connections and the fact that actually humans are at the heart of this story. Luke, what's interesting about these videos is they have the impression of someone who's just switched a phone on and, you know, is filming what comes to their mind. But, you know, actually, when you look at the shift in what he's put out, it does suggest that there's been some thought put into this. I mean, in his first videos, he's in a suit staring down the lens of a professional TV camera looking like a statesman. And that's markedly different from the next videos we see of him. I am here. We will not lay down our weapons. We will defend our state because our weapon is our truth. How does the way he presents himself change in the hours and days as this war is stretched on? Yeah, I mean, Michael, that's an interesting question. I mean, I mean, the obvious answer is that he's turned into a kind of war leader. He's taken off his princely garb, his court garb, his suit and his tie, and he's put on battle armor. You sometimes see him dressed in sort of military uniform with a hat and fatigues, but at the moment he's, he's wearing a khaki jacket, he's wearing a fleece. He looks knackered, but... You can tell there's still a bit of a twinkle there, and you can tell that he has not given up. When he says he hasn't given up, the Ukraine has not given up, that he, he will be with Ukrainians until the end. There's a sort of credibility there, not least because he, he keeps on filming these videos. He holds, holds the iPhone himself and, and does all that kind of very, very kind of neatly. But also, I mean, there's, there's one image which my colleague Sean Walker tweeted, which is of two presidents with their, with their defense ministers. So there's a picture of Vladimir Putin at this enormous, ridiculous table, 20 meters long, with Gerasimov, his, his chief of general staff, seated literally 15 meters away from him at the other end of the table. And then there's a selfie that Zelensky took with his, his defense minister, Alexei Reznikov, where they look like two bros going out for a beer, you know, practically tousling each other's hair. It's sort of incredibly powerful because, you know, Putin comes across as a sort of chilly, distant Voldemort. And, and actually, Z- Zelensky l- looks like, he looks like someone you want to go have a beer with. Luke, you were saying earlier that 
in one of the videos he put out, the point was him simply saying, I'm here. I'm still here. My cabinet's still here. We are all here protecting our independence, our country, and it will continue to be this way. How important is that message for the defence of Ukraine, that the president is still in the capital and is seen to still be in the capital, despite everything happening there? I think the fact that Zelensky has decided to stay, tough it out, is one of the key reasons why Ukraine is resisting and doing better, perhaps, than many thought in trying to kind of fend off Russian invasion. Basically, Russian propaganda has been putting out rumors that he's left, that he's fled, you know, it's all a fake, etc. They, they seem to have kind of dropped that now because it's clear that he is still in Kiev. But what we know to be true is that the US administration had offered to get Zelensky out. And according to US intelligence officials quoted in the Washington Post, Zelensky's magisterial riposte was, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. In other words, don't call me an Uber, send me stinger missiles. And I've also heard from my own sources that Erdogan, the Turkish president, has also offered to get Zelensky out and has a team on standby ready to exfiltrate him if it comes to it. And we can see the impact that, that his presence in these videos is having on the morale of Ukrainians. But what about internationally? What is his prominence doing for the cause of the Ukrainian people and as a source of, of diplomatic pressure on, on Ukraine's allies? Well, I mean, the other thing Zelensky has been doing from his bunker, from his presidential administration, he's been hitting the phone. And I think quite successfully, I mean, I, mean, I just talked to a, a former diplomat, a Ukrainian diplomat in Brussels, someone who'd actually kind of left the country after the Russian invasion happened. And he said that, you know, Ukraine has achieved more in, in five days than it achieved in its entire previous existence as an independent country. I mean, the European Union is talking about accession talks for Ukraine. Ukraine joining the European Union. I mean, that, that was unthinkable. I mean, no one was interested in, in Ukrainian accession until the Russian attack started. And he's calling Ursula von der Leyen. He's speaking to Boris Johnson. He's talking to the Biden administration. I mean, I, I'm in Ukraine, so it's a little hard to tell, but there seems to have been this unprecedented feeling of international solidarity with him and with Ukraine and horror of what Russia is doing. Horror. You told me that Vladimir Putin and his administration may have treated Zelensky with, with condescension. And in recent days, Putin's referred to the president and his government as, as Nazis, as drug addicts. I mean, bizarre claims. Do you think the Kremlin fundamentally underestimated Vladimir Zelensky? I, I think the Kremlin did fundamentally underestimate Vladimir Zelensky. I think they thought he was a sort of trivial, weak, non-system person. I mean, someone it wasn't actually worth negotiating with. And there's a kind of interesting question here, which is why is Putin's view of Ukraine and indeed of Zelensky so wrong? And I was talking to a, the head of Ukrainian foreign intelligence for the invasion who, who said, he made a couple of interesting points. One, we have always understood Russians better than they've understood us. And two, that like all dictators, Vladimir Putin believes his own propaganda and that his spy agencies, instead of giving him an objective picture of you know, how, for example, Russian forces might be welcomed or not welcomed in Ukraine, have been telling him what, what he wants to hear, that, that Zelensky is a fascist. And most importantly, that they're kind of weak. I think Putin thought Zelensky would flee. He hasn't fled and he's not going to flee. Luke, we've been talking about Zelensky's performance so far in this war in terms of, of theatre and of messaging, but there's a very dangerous reality at the heart of this. 
I mean, Zelensky himself, he's in terrible physical danger, isn't he? Yeah, I, I mean, he, he, he is. It's clear. I, I mean, you know, Russia's already killed hundreds of Ukrainian civilians. Uh, their goal is to capture Kiev. And um, according to all the sources I've spoken to, um, install a pro-Russian puppet administration in its place. And Vladimir Zelensky, you know, by existing is, is, a, is an impediment to that plan. I mean, he's an obstacle. And so... Best case scenario, you would want him out of the country where, where he's less able to influence events or, or rally support or a counteroffensive against, against Russian occupation. Worst scenario, you just kill him. The enemy has marked me down as number one target. My family is the number two target. They want to destroy Ukraine politically by destroying the head of state. What I was hearing on Thursday night was that the Russians had a plan to send in paratroopers and... About 5,000 then secure government buildings, storm the presidential palace, shoot or capture Zelensky. Now, now I, I, can't, I can't confirm that that is, is definitely true, but it, it, it's certainly logical. And the fact that it didn't happen or hasn't happened yet is because Kiev has, has been resisting. But sure, if they could kill him, I think they would kill him. I mean, this is an extraordinary story because this guy might easily have been written off as uniquely unsuited to being a wartime president. You know, he was an actor. He had no political experience before. He's never really been a leader. But it's almost like that ability we talked about earlier to deliver the right message at the right time in the right way, that that is, in fact, what's making Zelensky so effective in this moment. It's all a bit cliche, but, you know, some people are born great, some people achieve greatness, and some people have greatness thrust upon them. The greatness has definitely been thrust upon Zelensky um, over the last, you know, week or so, and he, he's handled it with great skill and, and some charm, I would say. So, yeah, I, I mean, in, in the event he gets out of all this, and it's, it's a very, very big if, and, and Ukraine is, continues to survive as a, as a sovereign country in some form uh, as opposed to a protectorate of Russia, then there's no doubt that Zelensky would win re-election. I mean, he got a landslide last time. He got he got 71%. You, you would expect him to get 90-something percent. But we're a long way from that. The situation is very dark. I fear the war will get worse before it gets better. I, I suspect Vladimir Putin will double down. Um, to Whether it's successfully or not, I don't know. But I think more tanks, more troops, more missiles are coming this way and will kind of rain down on Ukraine and its people. But for now, Zelensky's there, he's still standing, he's still smiling, he's still talking, he's still encouraging Ukrainians to hold the faith. And if he continues like this, I think he will incredibly emerge as one of the kind of great figures of the 21st century. Luke Harding, thanks so much. Thanks, Michael. Great to talk to you as always. That was Luke Harding, a senior Guardian foreign correspondent currently in Ukraine. Thanks very much to him. You can read all his coverage of the war at theguardian.com. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser and Ruth Abrahams. Sound design is by Axel Cacoutier. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Mythley Rao. Back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.